Super cool to be um, back up here um, talking. My name is Chris Smith, if you haven't known. I've been around for here for a long time, help doing coffee. Um, uh, I teach high school, so a virtual Christian school, so you get another teacher vibe up here this week. Um, social studies and, and English is my main scene of virtual Christian. Um, so Pastor John, when I, he asked me to be here, and of course you have that very pivotal word of yes. <laughs> it's actually pretty fun. It's actually cool. And it's a good time for me because school is way winding down. So I was like, I actually have time. Um, and uh, but he asked, he, so I said, well, what would you like me to talk on? And because I like that kind of like, you know, guidance. And he said, well, he's, gonna be, he's t- thinking about talking about Pentecost. I don't want to, you know, lock him into it. But he, he expressed like next week is Pentecost. He's going to talk about Pentecost. So if I could give like some context in Pentecost. Um, and so I've just been kind of thinking about that. Um, and I kind of anchored in Mark chapter 1. Before we go there, I'm just going to pray. Lord, just thank you just for this time, Jesus. Just thank you just for the reliability of your testimony, Lord, of your word, Lord, of the scripture that we have, Lord Jesus. And I just thank you for your spirit, Lord, for being with us, Lord. I just pray that I speak as I should, Lord. And just thank you for this time we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is going to be a bit of a tour. I've kind of look, anchored back in Mark. I just felt really drawn to, to Mark 1, uh, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And I was just kind of drawn to that phrase, the kingdom of God is near. What does that mean? And I kind of looked up in Matthew, and he, Jesus begins his ministry with that same phrase, the kingdom of God is near. And just kind of contemplating, what, what is that? Um, especially looking to Pentecost, like where we're going to be going, the step that, that we'll be taking. So Jesus also going to kind of, kind of echo John the Baptist, will also say the same thing, the kingdom of, of God is near, the kingdom of heaven is near. Of course, a lot of that we reference is like, well, Jesus will be coming, but Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is near. What is he kind of looking at? And I kind of like looking at steps in a relationship. It was kind of where I felt really drawn to in terms of a context. It was like, what would that mean? Like in high school, so I teach um, honors and AP classes, um, English and social studies. I don't do math or science. That's not my lane. I'm a big believer of lanes. That's not my lane. I don't even sub that. Okay, it's like, wow, I just like, you know, I can do my, I can do the calculator, you know what I mean? <laughs> I know enough math to know, like, you know, that balances out, like how much I can spend. So, uh, but for AP, one of the things I really like to, and of course I have the, I teach at Bursar Christian, so, so it's a private school, so I had the luxury of kind of like really working a curriculum, working a program, and getting to know students. Um, so we actually begin like that first step, if you will, um, in ninth grade. And kind of develop what I call like an honors program, or pre-AP program for ninth grade, 10th grade, and then they enter the two AP English classes, 11th and 12th grade. Um, and I will communicate, and I work with the eighth grade teacher. I taught eighth grade English once. I'm pretty sure I burn like 10,000 calories a day teaching eighth grade English. Like middle school is this whole thing. So, but kind of working with them. And the idea is that first step, like when I first meet freshmen coming into my class, you know, they're coming in and it's kind of meeting them. It's that first kind of big step. And each step is along the way. The idea is I get to know them personally. 
they get to know me, and I get to know where they are. And so we can begin to tailor what they need for each step. So each time they take a next step, they're prepared. So that was kind of in my mind looking at this. And so today, we're going to be going on a bit of a tour, Old Testament tour. By the way, I will try to we'll hit Genesis, Exodus, 1 Kings. Um, I hit verses. If you're the person who likes to look up the verses when I'm talking, I will go slow. I'll write it down. By the way, if you have a relevant focus question, you're welcome to raise your hand. I respond pretty really well to Mr. Smith. Chris, I mean, I'm going to get to you right away. But Mr. Smith, I have a question. Yes. What did you say? This is what I said. So as long as you only ask that question once, you get one. What did you say? What was due? Look at the schedule. All right. So step one, and, and like really, if you think of like a relationship, the big first step in a relationship is you meet somebody for the first time. What that is like, meeting someone straight out. Um, for our thing, for kingdom of God is near. It's kind of like felt drawn to when God first speaks to Abram. Back in Genesis, Genesis, I'm kind of looking at Genesis 12, Genesis 12, 1 in particular. Um, where God is going to, this has been a while after Noah, so here's Abram doing his thing, and God is going to speak to him directly, personally, first step. So Genesis 12:1, the Lord calls to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. It was a big deal for Abram. I mean, I don't know if you've moved, I know most people want to hear about, oh, I'm moving, I'm moving to this place. You know, you have an idea, I'm moving to a new job, or you have something, you have some destination, you have something like that. Um, God is going to call him to move. And if you imagine moving to, like, another country, and we're just going to go there. And I don't know where we're going to live, I don't know what I'm going to do, I don't know how we're going to communicate with people, it's a whole new culture, I know nothing. I got just enough money for the plane ticket, one way, and that's it. That's Abram. Um, big step. Abram at this point was 75 years old. Uh, took his wife Sarah and nephew Lot. Um, key thing, he left his inheritance, his family, he left it all. I mean, when he leaves, it's like a huge deal. It's not just, not just a one-way ticket. He's giving a lot up. He's completely going like, okay, major faith statement. He's going to leave his inheritance, his family property, left his whole security, everything behind um, and he puts his entire survival identity, everything, into the hands of God to move. First step. Step two, God's going to develop that relationship. God doesn't just send him off to do his thing alone. God is going to engage him in a really unique way. And this is the covenant. And it took me a while. I always spent some time trying to look up this concept of covenant we don't really have a, hot, a whole lot of different things, alliance, treaty, um, contracts, bonding, relationships, promises. And it's a hard one to find in our culture because if you think about promise that you absolutely cannot break or will not break. And a lot of our culture just breaks things. You know, broken promises, broken things. Oh, I meant to do this, but I couldn't because this came up. And it may be legitimate. You know, I wanted to do this, but this couldn't happen. You know, just this concept of a covenant relationship, you know, where you just have this, like, intensified bonding. And it's like a legal contract. It's like this mix of, like, a legal contract with, like, a treaty with, like, relationship that's bonded. 
that's not going to be broken. Covenant. God makes his covenant with Abraham, step two. Um, and it's a really unique thing because in an environment, Abraham was probably very, very familiar with polytheism, multiple gods all over the place. Um, and they had the big picture gods, which he didn't really deal with a whole lot. Everybody had like a little picture god. Um, there would have been like household idols. But there's not a relationship with them. You know, there's not this back and forth. And there's certainly um, not a point, I don't know, not a really what you would call a bonding relationship. Most of the experience in this culture with their gods was more like appeasement, manipulation, um, trying to guess what do they want, so they do this, and I want to do this. If you've ever been fishing, it's really easy to fall into that. Okay, so I was like, wow, I was like, whoa, you know, you put your, uh, so I go dip netting on the Kenai River, okay, that's where we're at, well, that's how much time I have. Um, you know, I like, oh, we're riding real fishing, I just don't have that kind of time anymore, you know what I mean? So if you're in the water, that's cool, but, you know, if you're actually there to get fish, you're putting your net in the water, I mean, you can do everything, you can get the right net, you can get the right float, it's going to float right here, you're getting the right tide, and the right time, the fish are there, but you don't really, that's like the end of your control, are you going get, to get fish or not? And then, you know, it's really easy to see how it's like, oh, maybe if I walk this way, I'll get fish. Or maybe if I think these thoughts, we'll get fish, right? Maybe if I do this, we'll get fish. You know, it's pretty easy to see to slip into this kind of like manipulation, appeasement kind of thing. And that would have been the relationship with God. If I do this, then this will happen. If I do this, then this will happen. Um, God's going to show that he's different. He's going to call Abram, step one. Step two, he's going to make this covenant bonding relationship. I'm different, says God. To Abram. So in Genesis 15, he um, initiates this covenant ceremony, and this would have been something along that Abram would have been kind of familiar with, is how they kind of sealed deals back, back in that time. This is going to involve some sacrificial animals. He's going to have a three-year-old heifer, ram, and goat, plus dove and young pigeon. Abram's going to set it up, make it, get it all ready. Then Abram himself, that's the end of his work. God is the one who's going to really seal it. In uh, Genesis 15 and verses 17 to 18, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. To your descendants, I give this land. Abram didn't have, Abram was the recipient of this. And so like in this covenant relationship, Abram's the one who's just doing and responding to what God is saying and doing. God is the one who's starting this relationship. God is the one who's like sealing this. Um, and in this covenant scene, um, the way it, it's presented, God is the one who will uphold it. Abraham is, Abraham at this point is supposed to do what he's told to, but ultimately God says, I will, in this ceremony, I will uphold this. And he will. God will uphold the promise. He promises to uphold the covenant. That's a promise that's going to span and it's ultimately going to result in Jesus. God upholding this covenant. So that's Abraham with the covenant. Step three. The people are in Egypt. So to Exodus, by the way, this is Exodus chapter 6, um, the people have been in Egypt, you know, through the whole Joseph thing, and then they're, they're there, they've grown, but they're basically slave in Egypt, and they're stuck in, in Egypt. And this is their situation, and I'm actually going to read this, Exodus 6, 
is really lovely. And there's a particular repetition in here to catch in, in uh, Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 to 8. So God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did, I, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is talking to Moses, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a mighty axe of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land. I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. That reputation. God is completely taking ownership over this covenant. God will make this happen. And God will become personally, directly involved in moving them out. I will make this happen. Um, so they bring out, so they come out. And again, like Abram, like the first step one with covenant with Abram, God doesn't simply move them out, which is, would be a big deal. You know, you come out, of, come out of Egypt, you cross the Red Sea. It's a huge thing. Now they're in the desert, they're moving to the promised land, and God doesn't just, okay, have fun. I got other things to do. Like, I'm going to go to Hawaii. I don't know about you, but if this, if that picture was happening in January, eh, it'd be a little more iffy. <laughs> seeing backgrounds. Oh, it was a beautiful day in Molokai. Thanks for that. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Kona Coffee, that's all I'm going to say, 100%. Okay. All right. Uh, so he, God doesn't just like leave them, you know, okay, you're on your own. He's going to do something new, kind of like with the covenant, which is new. You know, the personal connection that's a new step for any other God. You know, what he makes with Abram. God's going to take another big step in connecting with the people. And this is the tabernacle. And especially if you th I think of like things that didn't have to happen. Could the Israelites, Moses, gotten to the promised land just with God guiding them? Absolutely. You know, pillar of fire, you know, the smoke got in Egypt or gotten to the promised land, not a problem. Could that have all happened? Absolutely. But God's going to reveal a unique part, aspect of his character in this tabernacle. It's a, such a unique thing and would have been very unique. Now, people back then um, would have been used to God's having like some, some type of a temple, some type of a thing that was somewhere else. Like you, If you wanted to connect with a God, you went somewhere else. You might have your little household God that you'd have your whole household thing, but if you wanted something like real to happen, something big, if you felt like you needed to connect with a God, you had to make an effort, like a real effort, because your God was somewhere else. Now, the effort part will still be there. We'll get that in a second, but God is going to do something new, and that is he will dwell with the people. He'll tell Moses, this is how it's going to be. I'm going to give you the law. 
and that's great. And there's going to be like a lot. And that would have been usual. Okay, so you're the God. We're following you. Here's how you got to behave. Okay? Day one of school. These are my expectations, right? This is how things. We want to have a good relationship. This is what you do, and this is what you can expect of me. Okay? This is how we're going to have a nice working relationship. All right? So the law is kind of like that, but God's going to take this extra step and actually spend time with them. He's actually going to be with them. So he builds his, he has Moses um, build the tabernacle, commonly known as a sanctuary dwelling. Um, God is actually going to reside there, and it's pretty impressive concept that God will reside there. So the tabernacle, by the way, we'll get to the temple too, it's the same basic structure. You have the outside. And this time they are in the desert, well, you know, a lot of material, so it was you know, made out of curtains. Very specific, you know, directions. You're welcome to read all about it in Exodus. If you enter that, details. By the way, when I teach this to, I should just teach Bible, test some Bible to ninth and 10th graders, we were like kind of, details. Here's what details mean. You can read it if you want to know details. Um, I shall mention the details in a second. But the basic, he had the main structure. It would be like if this church was a tabernacle, okay? So it was open to people to come in. He had a door, come in. Um, but then you had like the special holy place, okay? So it would be like out there. So this would be like open. You had to go through the door to get to the special holy place. And then you had like the most holy place or the holy of holies. Like that would be at the coffee bar, which is very appropriate, by the way, okay? <laughs> so the most holy place. You just have to be, you know, only certain people can go there, right? Not everybody should go behind there. And not everybody should be running the machine, okay? Just like, you know, it's a very special environment. Um, it's kind of like what this tabernacle is. And the most holy place is where they have the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this is a really interesting scene. So a lot of the details, like God is going to tell Moses, you've got to have all this stuff in the tabernacle. To kind of sum that up, this is all the things that are necessary for God's presence to be there, to make it holy, to make it clean, because God pure holiness is coming to the place that's not pure holiness. So what is it to make that? And so he's going to have most of all these details, all these different things that are going to be in the tabernacle are all specific things to enable God's presence to be there. Um, in the most holy spot, you have the Ark of the Covenant. Um, it's a really interesting scene. I don't know. Like, I got saved like way after Razor Lost Ark. So whenever we still have Ark of the Covenant, that's my go-to, okay? And it's interesting, they actually kind of get it right. Like, the, you know, they put the whole ark into the thing and it burns to the box and all this kind of stuff. But it's like the, the relevance of that is it's, it's something really powerful, something really unique. And so that, the, the ark itself, you know, has a certain, like, holiness has a holiness aspect the ark itself is essentially the earthly contact that we have between or the people had between themselves and god was the was the ark and the covenant i may be i'm stepping a little bit out of my lane here a little bit so this is like you know by the way i'm sharing thoughts i mean oh, i should emphasize i should emphasize that from the beginning i'm not i don't do the the p word okay like the preaching word that's not me okay by the way if you're visiting i'm sorry <laughs> Come next week, you hear Pastor John coming here. He's the filet mignon, okay? I'm not the filet mignon. Oh, and by the way, that's filet mignon, not flaming mignon. 
that clarification is for a particular person. Okay, so anyway, but Adam and I hunting this a little bit, you know, like just the covenant had power. It's like, well, why is it that the Ark of the Covenant, by the way, I encourage the students, well, why? Why is it the Ark of the Covenant was so specifically not to be touched, so specifically to be handled, like the actual Ark itself, the, the, the container containing the covenant? You know, my thought is that's actually God's presence, which would go along with the covenant. Like, God doesn't just, like, you know, sign it here. God's actual presence is in that covenant. God's actual presence is in that ark, which makes it holy, which is why nobody can just like, oh, put your hand on it, you know. So the ark of the covenant is in the most holy place, and then God will descend and dwell there, which is just fantastic. It's unheard of that God would communicate personally to his people that God will actually dwell his presence be amongst. And the tabernacle is in the midst of the people, not like outside somewhere, in the middle. God's character is actually going to be with the people. Oh, another unique thing, there was never an idol or an image of the Lord. And that would have been a very odd thing. For any outsider coming in and seeing it, there's no image of the God, no idol of the God, no you know, specific thing. There's nothing like that. God's presence is what dwells there. Um, and then in the, towards the end of Exodus in 40, when actually when, when Moses gets all this built and, in, and, um, and finished, in Exodus 40, verses 34 to 35, then a cloud covered the tent of meeting. This is actually where we could go. So the ark was in the Holy of Holies, and only a certain priests could go there at certain times, but then it was in like a, what they call a tent of meeting. So you could potentially sit in a tent of meeting. So, well, which is how Moses communicated with God and the priest did. When the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, which is really impressive. And that was there. They have lamps that burn perpetually to show that the presence had just come. Hey, how's it going? What do you got to do? Okay, I'm out of here. I'm back to Molokai, okay? Because that's really, I'd rather hang out there. It wants to be in the desert, right? So, but no, God's presence, like, stayed there, remained with them. Um, we see a parallel scene, step four, where things get more, or step five, um, with the temple. Solomon will build a temple, very similar, very, very much like the, the tabernacle scene, only it's made more permanent, more per permanent materials, but these, the, still the structure was very similar. Um, Again, the same type of temple furnishings. The Ark of the Covenant is brought into the place in the innermost uh, sanctuary. And a similar scene will happen once Solomon finishes the temple, as dedicating the temple. This is 1 Kings chapter 8, um, verse 10 through 11. 1 Kings 8, 10 to 11. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Parallel thing. God is going to continue to dwell with them. Solomon built the temple. God will actually fill it with his presence. That's what makes that holy place so holy, was the, his presence. Um, ideally, the temple was built very specifically, built much more permanently. 
Um, the deal was that it would last. However, the whole scene was still dependent on the heart attitudes of the people, which failed epically. So <clears throat> the premise of the rest of the history of the Old Testament is all about the epicness of the failure, and they try to rebuild it, and they fail again, and, and so, um, which takes us to step six, which brings me back to here, to Jesus. Um, God arrives in the person of Jesus. And the people are still um, not, not free, still having different scenes. Um, God's going to dwell this time, next step, in the development of that relationship. God is in upholding the covenant. God is not going to just build a new thing, build a new temple. God's going to arrive in the person of Jesus. Jesus will say, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And this focus, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God that God established back with Abram, that God is not going to give up on, God's pledge to uphold, no matter what, despite our epic failings. And in this time, God arrives with Jesus, in the person of Jesus. And God is going to act in a really radical, new, and decisive manner through the person of Jesus to essentially fulfill that covenant relationship he established back with Abram. You know, I will be your God, and you will be my people. People now hear from God directly in the person of Jesus. Jesus walks with them. Jesus is with them. People hear from God, you know, through Jesus directly. They see God directly. They experience God directly through Jesus. I don't know if you're a fan of The Chosen. It's a great f scene um, to see, you know, just to kind of contemplate that day-to-day -day connection with Jesus. You know, I'm not going to say one way or the other about the accuracy. Um, you know, kind of look it up. It looks pretty solid for the most part. Um, but just what I really love seeing is just that, that the character, their interpretation of how Jesus would 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 uh, interact with his disciples, the apostles, and then with the other, and then with the people, just on the day-to-day -day interactions with them. And what struck me the most, especially um, with a number of, actually with all the disciples in some form or some form or fashion, is that personal connection that he makes. Um, there's one, and as we were singing, I was like, oh, who's the dude? There's one guy who's lame. And it's interesting, their, their take on the, the, the different um, apostles, but there's one, there's, there's one disciple, and he's getting ready to send, these, send them out two by two to go around and preach. I'm trying to remember, I don't remember if he remembers. The one who's lame, who's the guy who's walking around? James. Little James, right? Because it's big James and little James. That's fine, by the way. So, you know, he's talking to James, and James comes to him and says, you're going to ask me, to go around and preach and to heal people. And uh, one of the things I love about the chosen, it makes me slow down and think about these verses that we might just go, you know, Jesus sent them off two by two, and they all went, okay, that sounds cool, what's next? You know, but slows it down, Jesus, because these people were people, you know? And you're going to send me to go do what? Do what? 
you know, and they're kind of learning what they signed up for. So this is a really touching scene for little James who's crippled, who's on a crutch, okay? And you're going to send me out to go preach your message and to heal people while I'm crippled. And there's this really moving scene where Jesus is like, yes, what do you want? Well, you want to be healed, but it's not in your time. I have lots of people will be healed, but for me, and I understand you want to be healed. Jesus didn't like to just blow it off. Jesus understood. I understand you want to be healed. I get it. Um, but the bigger scene is the testimony that you're going to present, the faith that you're going to demonstrate to the people by being crippled and then yet healing people. And one of the episodes later on, not minor spoiler, um, that you actually see him healing people. This is really cool scene. But just that Jesus is going to respond. And, of course, and Jesus you know, ends it with like, little James, there will be a point where you will be healed. The promise, the covenant. There will be a point when you will be healed. The covenant promise. You know, it's not near. Spent some time, like, what does that mean? And it's not clear what near is. Um, probably the best one, I think it was a step relationship. Jesus is near. God is near. God is taking step by step by step, being near to the people from calling Abraham, um, Abraham to even to become Abraham, to calling him, to making that covenant, that binding relationship that God will uphold to the point of the cross, to drawing them out of their scene whatever they were, to drawing them into the place where God wants them to be. And God making that happen. I will do this. I will be your God. I will be with you. Um, and I will dwell with you. You know, and then coming in a person of Jesus and teaching us directly. You know, or teaching us through the apostles, teaching the apostles directly and then through their work and writings, teaching us. And then the next step, the Holy Spirit. Dwelling in us through his cross, through his work, Jesus' work, you know, we are made pure. We are made holy of holies, pure for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. And to me, that's an amazing thing. Um, God never gave up on his people. God never gives up on us. God never abandoned the covenant with us to the point of that. And he responds to us individually. And that is the covenant scene. And that's where the next step for the Holy Spirit. So for me, very comforting thought.